Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. And those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Way back in April of 2019, I spoke with today's guest about virtual reality and sexual harassment. Some things have changed since then, and I'm looking at you the pandemic. Some things are the same, and I'm looking at you in effective sexual harassment training. Either way, we are very pleased to have with us again today, Morgan Mercer. Morgan is the founder and chief executive officer of Vantage Point, an organization that strives to leverage virtual reality, immersive technology to tackle complex training challenges like sexual harassment and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Prior to founding Vantage Point, she concurrently served as the head of digital for an e-commerce startup and as an analyst for a digital agency where she has worked on high-profile contracts focused on attitude change and behavior change within the domain of complex social issues. She has been featured on the BBC, in British Vogue, Bloomberg, The Guardian, Wired, VentureBeat, and many other media outlets. Morgan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I think before we get started, we really should discuss what precisely is VR training. Absolutely. I love this question. So a virtual reality headset is going to be basically a piece of hardware, um, you know, that that goes on your head, right? And so when I say that a lot of times that doesn't sound the coolest, um, but it actually is really cool. And I'll explain why. So when you put this headset on your head, you're immediately transported to this completely different world. That's what the concept or the premise of virtual reality is really founded on, right? It's um, the research behind virtual reality is that if it is not completely immersive, meaning your brain does not register that it is not in the real world environment, quote unquote, meaning what you're doing in your day-to-day life, um, then it's not considered virtual reality. So it has to be completely immersive. It completely um, transports you to a different world or a different environment. And whatever this world or environment is, depends on the program that you're going into. So when you leverage a technology like virtual reality, where you can literally step into a different world. So for those of you who haven't tried virtual reality, imagine you're literally putting something on and all of a sudden you're in Bali, right? Or you're putting something on and all of a sudden you're in a classroom in Paris. That's the feeling of being in virtual reality. And then you take it off and you realize you're in your living room. Um, So when we actually leverage this technology in conjunction with learning, so learning around a variety of different topics, whether it be upskilling, whether it be soft skills, um, whether it be hard skills, what we're actually doing is we're looking for the ways that we can increase and improve learning outcomes through providing real world experiences. So some examples of that are leveraging VR to teach somebody potentially how to uh, manufacture a car, leveraging VR to teach somebody how to interact with employees on a sales floor or excuse me, customers on a sales floor, um, leveraging VR to teach employees how to interact with one another. So what you can actually do is you can model out real world interactions and real world scenarios in a virtual environment, which provides a really, really, really safe and effective way to teach people because ultimately we all learn by doing, right? There have been so many times people say, Morgan, don't do this. And I'm like, okay. And then I do it anyway. And then I learn, (laughs) Um, you know, so we all learn by doing and by actually allowing people to do things in an environment that feels real, 
where you can respond as you actually would, because again, your brain doesn't realize it's it's not a real world environment, you're going to get a lot closer to the learning outcomes that everybody within the HR and L&D spaces um, and DNI spaces particularly are very eager and excited about. I mean, it's fascinating. I, I mean, VR has been, a, the idea of VR has been around, you know, since really the inception of science fiction, you know, and I first got interested in it uh, because I'm a gamer and I thought, oh, well, this is, you know, the next step. Um, which I, I still haven't done because I just don't have time in my life. But uh, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised to see it applied um, in such a functional and useful way. And one of the things that it seems to me, and I'd like to get your opinion on it, is that things that happen in VR have a more visceral, is a more visceral experience, a more uh, real, a real experience for the people experiencing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of research on this, right? Virtual reality actually engages the same parts of your brain cognitively as a real world experience. So it's not just that it quote unquote feels real from a um, cognitive, right? I think this is a real way, but your brain actually perceives it as it would a real world experience. So when you actually look at the maps of the different parts of um, people's brains that are engaged during different experiences, you can see the the empathy center light up, right? You can see the different centers of people's brains light up during the experiences, um, and you can actually see the long lasting impacts. and And that's why virtual reality as a medium has been used for things such as surgical trainings, fighter pilot simulations, etc. You know, the reason why I say virtual reality is particularly effective is this thing that's called um, state dependency. So state dependency is actually a psychological term that means that in order to have maximum retention, you need to be under the same condition that you would be in if something were to actually happen. So for example, you're learning how to, um, you know, how to deescalate a fight, right? If you're learning how to deescalate a fight and you're just standing with your colleagues in, in the lunchroom, it's not the same as actually being in a situation that's high tension, high stress, where you're deescalating a fight, right? The internal and external stimuli that your body has are completely different. So being immersed in an immersive environment where you can actually create that internal and external stimuli and your body, your brain literally registers it as true because your brain is being engaged in the same way as a real world experience, that's going to have incredible learning outcomes. And so, you know, again, like virtual reality isn't just this, you know, this world that's, that's fun. Um, It's something that has the power to be able to be applied in so many different ways, because ultimately people's behaviors within an immersive environment do tend to match up to what they would do in real life, which is really cool when you look at it from a learning perspective. Yeah. And on the other hand, you have traditional sexual harassment training um, and DEI training sometimes, um, which is, I think, at its worst, uh, a, a form that you fill out online while watching like little videos um, and before VR at best was someone giving a lecture, you know, and I, I think it's in your previous answer, but uh, you know, if you could just sort of directly critique those training methods and, and other similar methods, as far as their efficacy, that would be, that would be fantastic. 
Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of research on why these methods don't work, right? So a couple things. One is engagement. Um, it, it doesn't matter how, quote unquote, engaged you are. We are always inundated with different information. So whether it be you have something up on your screen and all of a sudden, like I said, you know, your kid runs in or all of a sudden somebody's knocking at your door <laughs> with the food delivery or all of a sudden somebody's vacuuming, you know, next door and you can hear it or somebody's cutting the grass outside or you're ordering lunch, you know, or right. Those are forms of like unexpected interruptions. But um, there's also the lack of engagement in the sense of you could be trying to multitask. You have a ton of things on your plate. You know, you're texting your colleagues and you're trying to figure out uh, what's going on with the projects later. And you're multitasking that with your learnings. Um, you know, you're getting Slack messages. You're checking your emails. You're thinking about the other project that you have to do. And so when you are in an environment or in, um, I should say, a learning environment where you're not completely engaged, you're not retaining the material. So that's number one, right? Number two is that we learn by doing, we don't learn by being told, and we don't learn by answering multiple choice questions. So, you know, that is very reflective even in the ways that we educate within our, our school system and then how applicable that is to the workforce. We see a lot of students who come from university, come from college, um, and are not prepared for the workforce and for, you know, the jobs that they're stepping into. And there needs to be a lot of on-the-job training because even the things that we're teaching in school aren't necessarily applicable. And that's not just because of material. It's also because um, we learn by doing. And so literally having somebody read a textbook, which has been made more engaging, more interesting, uh, more interactive by turning it into, you know, on-demand videos or on-demand lessons on a computer is still the same, right? The only thing is it's it's the same thing, but it's a little bit more pretty or it's the same thing, but it's a little bit more fun, um, but it's still the same fundamentally, right? And so when you are doing that versus doing something that's completely immersive, um, you're not actually completely engaged with the topic in the same way as if it were a real life experience. And so, for example, you're coming into your first day of, of your job and all of a sudden an angry customer starts yelling at you, right? You're going to learn. And that's a real world experience. But if you're role playing that out, you're not going to learn because it's not a real world experience. You might learn, okay, checklist, here are the different things that I can do. But the ways that humans work is that humans don't inherently revert to their checklist mentally when something that's high escalation, high stress happens in real life, because humans actually have a, a very low capacity, um, you know, to override the fight or flight uh, programming and then go back to their, their mental, like logical checklist. Right. Um, and so, 2D mediums, in-person mediums, role-playing, et cetera, I mean, they've gotten us this far, um, but then I think that there's a really big question around how far they've gotten us if we're seeing a lot of these problems. And the last thing I'll say is that on role-playing, there's been a lot of research around why role-playing doesn't work, and it's because there's this herd mentality. Nobody wants to be wrong in front of somebody else, especially somebody that they respect or revere, and nobody wants to... Um, you know, to to be mean. Um, nobody wants to look like they don't know something, etc., in front of a group. And so there's what's called group think, where sure, role playing is the closest you get to a real life experience. And even then, 
within role-playing dynamics, people are inherently untruthful to what they know, what they don't know, and how they would actually show up, which is in and of itself a problem. Because when you're trying to teach people, it's important to understand, you know, where people are at and and the things that they do and don't know and how they would actually behave and act so you can teach around it, right? And so this presents a lot of challenges and complexities to a learning environment, even if it's quote unquote easy. Um, And even if it's been quote unquote made fun because now it's interactive and now it's on demand and now it's, you know, micro learning, um, again, it's still not effective. Yeah. And you can see, you know, I mean, people have been aware of the inefficacy of, you know, particularly sexual harassment training as is indicated by the ongoing sexual harassment issues that don't seem to have stemmed at all. But, you know, they were they were up against a wall in the sense that, yeah, you can't do a real sexual harassment demonstration because it's just unethical and for so many reasons, obvious reasons, until virtual reality, right? Because as you're saying, when you put those headsets on, as far as far as the most important parts of your brain are concerned, you're there. And, you know, if you have computer generated a situation happening in front of you, you take that, that uh, danger and that uh, unethical aspect away from presenting a, a very real sexual harassment or, or, you know, microaggression or, um, you know, whatever it is, a uh, situation you, you're putting it in front of people in a very real and believable way. It's brilliant on the one hand, um, fascinating on the other. I, I would like to talk, uh, just get an idea from you. What exactly does it look like? Can you run through a scenario or, or what someone that's taking this kind of um, training would, would see? Absolutely. And, and just a quick point to wrap up You know, the previous note that we were talking about. The other benefit is that Within a virtual reality experience, especially for things that are this important, um, you know, but for any of the areas that you're training on, you receive a standardized and consistent experience, which is really important, especially when you think about um, understanding your workforce and and workforce optimization and predictive analytics, you know, behavioral analytics, etc. I think that we as an industry place a lot of focus on understanding our employees, right? Understanding, whether it be understanding um, the probability that we're going to retain an employee, the, you know, understanding um, the trends in workforce development, understanding um, how to make our employees more productive, work more collaboratively, more, more happy, right? Um, and so when you think about that, inherently, you need to have consistency across the ways that you're measuring the employee experience with the training product. And so if people are having very distractions when they're going through training, they're not having a consistent training experience, right? Um, if you're not sure if they're actually seeing the material or someone else's, they're not having a very training experience and a consistent training experience, excuse me. And even with an instructor, you can't guarantee a consistent training experience because the tonality that somebody says something in very likely has changed, right? And tone adds so much context in the ways that we perceive information. And so if you can guarantee that when an employee puts a headset on, they're not looking at anything else. They're only looking at the material. You know the material is consistent. You know it's a consistent training experience. You know exactly what your employees have gone through and have seen. 
not only can you guarantee safety, psychological safety, et cetera, around some of these things, but you can also better understand your organization because then when you come back, you can get, by the way, a ton of analytics from VR headsets because you can look at things like engagement, um, where are people looking within the headset? How long are people engaging with different interactions, whether it be an escalation or de-escalation, which characters resonate the most with an employee, right? And that stuff can be very insightful. And when you can actually look at that in a way that's consistent and standardized, you can deliver some really valuable insights from it. So that's the only other point that I'll add there on you know the issues around 2D and um, instructor-led training mediums and, and some of the other training mediums that we've been using and some points on why virtual reality is, is significantly more effective. Um, but with that, I'm, I'm happy to speak a little bit to what the experience actually looks like inside the headset and, and the way that the experience feels. So once you're actually placed inside the headset, um, what we do is we transport you to a completely different environment. You know, it, it depends on what the point of the scenario is. So we do everything from anti-racism training, literally meaning we have first person POV experiences of what it looks like or what it feels like, I should say, to be racially profiled. Um, in a workplace, right? We have experiences for the European market even around um, the ways that egalitarian culture and the perception of egalitarian culture impacts how somebody perceives equity versus equality. So again, going back to what we talked about earlier, well, everyone has access to the TSI course, right? Um, because everyone has access to the TSI course, we're inherently um, equal, right? But we're not necessarily equitable equitable would be understanding that maybe an employee Fatima is supporting her husband's green card visa. So she needs um, further support in terms of providing hardware, whereas the rest of your workforce does not because they're not in the same situation. So again, once you're in the headset, the situation that we place you in is completely dependent on the type of training you're taking, whether it be anti-harassment, anti-racism, inclusion, discrimination, um, anti-bias, you know, bullying-based on perceived sexual orientation, et cetera, all of these different topics that we offer. So it could be a workplace um, conference or excuse me, a conference. It could be a workplace uh, you know, meeting. It could be literally your colleagues are walking out of um, a conference room. They're walking by you and it's a casual exchange in a hallway. It could be um, an office happy hour. It could be any given environment that fits the situation that we're teaching about. And so, you know, hypothetically, you're basically taken from your living room, or you're taken from your kitchen or from, you know, the hotel or the apartment or wherever you are, and you're transported to being at a table and you're sitting across from your different colleagues. And, you know, when you look around you, you're completely surrounded. Again, you're immersed. You can look up, you can look down, you can look to your left, to your right, you can look forward, you can even look back. And as you're looking around you, the different characters are engaging with you too. So we're actually using photorealistic characters because we want it to feel completely realistic, right? We want it to feel as true to real life as possible. And we're using the highest quality video. So we actually film with the best-in-class cameras. The most recent camera that we film with was the Titan. It's one of the best on the market. And it provides such, such, such realistic um, content, meaning, you know, when you're in the experience, you can literally read the words on the page of a book, right? It's it's that good. It's that high fidelity. Yeah, it's incredible. 
And so when you're placed in this situation, we're using, again, photorealistic characters who are looking at you. So again, you may look to your left and see somebody looking over at you. Um, you know, they're talking to you, they're engaging with you. And the point of that is to truly bring you into the experience, to truly create um, the environment where you're realizing that you're not wherever you were, you're here, right? And your actions are impacting what's going on. And so we have a variety of different ways of interacting with the, um, with the training experience. Again, it completely depends on what the learning outcomes are, and it completely depends on the type of training. So for example, um, if it's a first-person POV experience, so you're being um, subject to racial profiling in the workplace, the security guard thinks that you're a trespasser, and then your colleague comes over and stands up for you, you're actually a first-person POV, and the security guard is coming up to you, looking you in the eyes, talking to you, starting to get aggressive. You can feel the feeling of of being worried and, and of fear, right? Um, because all of a sudden, this person is coming up to you. And we're actually using audio overlays to narrate what's going on in your head. So you're actually hearing your own thoughts, right? Um, and so as you're hearing your own thoughts, you're, you're actually getting a text message. Your colleague, Brandon, has already left for the day, right? So he says goodbye. You're hearing your own thoughts. And then your colleague, Brandon, walks by as he sees the security guard that one of, one of your other colleagues, um, a female you know, called on you, walk up to you. And he sends you a text message and he says like, hey, it looks like things are um, a little bit tense. Like, are you all good? And based on what you choose, Brandon will either come back over and he shows how things like, you know, this concept of white privilege, which is something that has come up with, with everything going on with Black Lives Matter can actually be um, a benefit. So Brandon comes back over and he speaks up for you and he, he tells the security guard, you know, this is my colleague. If anything, you know, you're the one um, who's causing issues and I'm going to report you to, to your supervisor and to management, right? Or Brandon leaves and all of a sudden you, you see the security guard getting more aggressive and he's calling for backup on his walkie talkie and it turns into this really intense situation. Sometimes we'll actually use things like sound or like um, heartbeat right? The, the sound of heartbeat in the background to further create um, the feeling and the effect, because again, we're really putting you into a person's experience. So that's one example. I'll give you one more example, uh, more so around harassment, right? So we do bystander training. Um, we do bystander training for all the different topics, but this is just a different interaction type, right? So for bystander training, you are placed into an environment where you're with your colleagues um, and you are being taught that your actions impact the outcome. It does not matter if you are the person who's experiencing something. It does not matter if you're the person who's perpetrating something. You, your actions impact the outcome, right? Everyone has the ability um, and the responsibility to recognize the ways that they can influence the culture that they wanna see in their workforce and in the world more broadly, right? And so as you're placed in this bystander role, you actually see somebody else um, who is you know, at the receiving end of some sort of behavior. So one of the scenarios I really like is this guy, Pablo, and he's being bullied based on his sexual orientation or his perceived sexual orientation. So you're sitting at the table with him and Pablo's sitting across from you and he just looks really, really sad, right? And he's looking at you and he's trying to talk to you and your two colleagues and he's trying to open up and he's trying to say, you know, I've been being bullied by my manager, Laura, 
she keeps calling me princess. I don't think she's realizing how much it, it frustrates me. And I really just can't, you know, do my job. It's really impacting my, my work, right? And so your colleagues, again, are looking at you or talking to you. And one of your colleagues is sitting on the side. He's texting you and he's saying, you know, do you think this is okay? Um, do you think that Pablo should just brush it off? Do you think Pablo is just being sensitive, et cetera? And so these are all real life choices um, that feel like something that you would hear in real life because we're actually pulling in um, things that people have said in reality, right? We're not fabricating any of this because again, it's so important to the experience for it to feel completely immersive. And so you actually have a 3D cell phone. You have a CG cell phone. It looks just like an iPhone and you're receiving text messages from your colleagues and your colleagues are saying, you know, Hey, Morgan, um, do you feel like this is, is something that he should just brush off? It feels like it's not a big deal to me. And I'm saying, yeah, I think it's fine. Like, I don't, I don't get why he's being so sensitive. Like we have other things to focus on. Right. So a situation escalates or I say, no, I really think that this like isn't cool. And, and it's obviously bothering him. He's obviously not okay with it. The situation deescalates and depending on the path that you go down, the storyline will change. And so it'll either get, you know, it, it'll build up or it'll almost like soften. Right. And you can really, really feel the ways that these problems impact other people. And so it really creates that line of empathy, but it really creates the embodied learnings as well, because you're learning the way that your behavior and actions can help change the outcome of whatever, um, whatever situation you're placed in. You know, as you're describing that, what's really interesting to me is, you know, those, those, particularly in the second scenario, those options that the, uh, participant has, I mean, they're the same ones you see in regular sexual harassment training, you know, um, that I've seen in, in our own and elsewhere saying, you know, do you, uh, it's just, he's just blowing out of proportion. Like I've seen that exact language, um, all those options, but even just you explain, describing the situation makes it so much more, so much more real and so much more, uh, visceral. You can really get a sense of how effective that would be. Um, do users get the opportunity to retry things or go back and change their answers to get the different outcomes? Absolutely. And that's something that we we really not only encourage, but sometimes will actually do uh, within the program, especially, you know, depending on the learning outcome, when it's a situation where the ways, the, the results of somebody's action or inaction are so vastly different. Um, if somebody goes down a path or an avenue where they're not, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say making the right choices, right? Where they're not understanding what they should do, they're not understanding their actions, um, then we will actually take them down a different avenue to show them the ways that the situation could have been different. And vice versa, if somebody goes down an avenue where um, you know, they're understanding completely, they're getting it, you know, they've, they've been in it before maybe in real life, they know what to say, etc. Um, that's great. We'll still show them the ways that the situation can play out negatively, because it's really important for employees to be able to see and feel both. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I, last time we talked, you know, um, I had asked you if the person would ever be the, the, um, on the receiving end of the harassment, and which of course you said no, and that makes perfect sense. I was a little surprised to hear that 
the decision had been made to do that, although it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just surprised to the decision with the um, the the racist harassment to put the user in the recipient's place. Um, what what kind of decision making process goes on around the ethics versus wanting things to be effective when you when you put these scenarios together? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So we take a lot of consideration into this, and that was a decision that took us actually a while to make. Um, so. At a higher level, some of the things that we consider are the research behind it. So the research behind, for example, harassment, the research behind gender-based violence, the research behind, um, you know, targeted violence based on sexual orientation, the research behind racism. Um, We also look at the historical evolution of the problem. And so what I mean by that is with anti-racism specifically, we brought in sociologists, we brought in anthropologists, we brought in psychologists, we brought in um, organizational change designers. Um, And then for harassment, we brought in employment law firms, we brought in trauma-informed communications experts, we also brought in psychologists, we also brought in um, organizational change leaders, diversity and inclusion leaders. So we bring in a variety of different subject matter experts, depending on the topic that we're teaching on. And then we actually sit and we talk to companies and we talk to employees and we talk to people. So we ask a lot of questions around, um, so for example, with the anti-racism experience, you know, we express our concerns and, and we did this. We actually brought in everything from employees to random people that we had surveyed. Um, and, and of course, when I say random, I, I mean randomized, but not people who were necessarily coming from an organization um, that we had engaged with or, or you know, et cetera. We actually reached out to a lot of people just within our networks um, who and, and tangential networks who were black. And we basically did like a blind survey that said, you know, how would you feel about a first person situation? Um, because we don't want to re-traumatize anybody, right? We don't want to put anybody into a situation and re-traumatize them. How would you feel about this? Um, is this something we should do or is this something we shouldn't do? You know, how quote unquote egregious should we make it versus not egregious, right? Because there's always a spectrum as well. And that's something that's important to understand is that there's a spectrum. And I think it's really important for things to be designed with intentionality. So it's not just a, this is a first person experience, you know, a first person experience um, with a different experience, right? With, um, I mean, there, there are so many different ways that can go. Um, can be a lot more intense um, as compared to others, but of course they're all intense as compared to to not experiencing it. And so we're also thinking about what's the spectrum, like how how far do we want to push people, um, and and what is comfort, what is psychological safety within that, and how are we doing that in a way that's that's not necessarily pushing people, but actually creating empathy around the problem. And so when we ran the survey, we were actually surprised because I personally was of the mindset of we are not doing a first person experience around this. Absolutely not. And I was actually surprised because so many people from within the BIPOC community overwhelmingly came back and said, I've already been through this, right? Like I've been through this my entire life. And right now I'm speaking verbatim. This was actually something that somebody said to me and she was crying when she said it. And she said, I have been through this my entire life. There is nothing you can put me through that is going to re-traumatize me because this is my reality and I go through this every single day. But for everybody who 
you know, wants to show up and, and wants to be an ally and, and does not actually understand that this is my experience, I want them to understand that. That will be impactful to me. That's going to be meaningful to me, right? And so when we run this survey and we see not just a ton of HR leaders, right, not just a ton of employees, but a ton of different people from within the BIPOC community um, saying this, and our goal is to create an inclusive culture within companies, within organizations, within the world, fundamentally, that comes down to a foundational layer of, of understanding. And so for the anti-racism experience of being profiled um, by a security guard, that to us was a little bit different from the harassment experience, because when it comes to harassment as well, um, that's something that can happen, you know, again, to, to anyone. It's something that can happen to um, a guy, it can happen to a woman, it can happen to, um, you know, people based on their sexual orientation. Um, it's something that is a little bit more broad, whereas when you're talking about things related to race, it's a little bit more targeted, right? And so we also wanted to take consideration into that. And again, there's a spectrum. So within the harassment experiences, I mean, they definitely don't feel comfortable um, but we are not using anything that's particularly egregious and nothing in a first person format, right? Particularly egregious meaning um, we're very thoughtful in the psychological safety. And then again, that mirrors over to the anti-racism where, you know, we are making sure that we're not leading anything. Um, we're not misconstruing anything. You know, we are using trauma-informed communications tactics, Right. Um, we're very thoughtful in the way that we develop it. But again, race is something that's a little bit more targeted, whereas harassment is something that's a little bit more broad. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it must for those people that that were asked, you know, whether they would want want to be the, the target, as it were. I mean, you could see someone saying, I just want someone else to stand in my shoes to understand what it's like. That's what's missing so often, you know. Um, People that don't experience racism, they don't experience uh, discrimination. You can empathize, but it's really hard to really feel what it would be like when it's happening to you. Right. And that's that's the issue, right? Is that, you know, the best parallel I draw, and again, this is a parallel, so it just speaks volumes to, to the problem. Um, but the best parallel I draw is like, if you were born in Alaska and somebody is explaining to you what it feels like to live in Egypt or in, you know, Dubai or somewhere where it's really, 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 really warm and hot all the time. You're only going to be able to imagine it. If you've never felt the warmth, if you've never felt the heat, you're going to imagine, okay, this is what I imagine the heat will feel like. This is what I would imagine, you know, it would feel like to live in, in this environment, right? And vice versa. If you're born in somewhere that's super hot, and then somebody's trying to tell you, you know, oh, this is what it would feel like to live in Alaska or in the northern part of Canada um, or in Greenland, right? You're only going to imagine it, especially if you've never experienced the cold. And so feelings and emotions are very similar because we have contextualized emotions, right? Um, and they're contextualized around whatever our personal life experiences are. And so that is the fundamental issue because when I say that I'm angry or frustrated, it means I'm angry or frustrated contextualized around the experiences I've had and the ways that that shows up in, in how it's informed my emotions, my feelings and vice versa. So my angry and frustrated 
is never going to be the same as a Black man's angry and frustrated, right? As a biracial woman. And very likely, um, as an Asian woman, you know, saying that I feel uncomfortable is going to be very different from, you know, a white man saying that they feel uncomfortable. And so you can be using the same words, but not even be speaking the same language. And it's because of the contextualization. And so it's how do you actually give people the experience, the understanding so that they can speak the same language? Because it's not that people don't care. It's not that people don't want to support. It's that they're just not understanding. Yeah, uh, extremely well said. Unfortunately, that's about all the time that we have today. But uh, I just wanted to thank you one more time for, for taking the time out of your day to join us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was great. Uh, listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. With your suggestions or just any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, uh, we are also now available on Audible and Spotify. So if you prefer to listen there, you can pick us up through those services. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.